Well, I missed you, so I'm glad you're all back. Thank God that that stinking break's over. But I do hope you guys had time to rest and relax with your family and gear up for the semester. If this is your first time ever with us, welcome home. This technically isn't where we usually meet, but welcome home to Chi Alpha. This can be a home as a family. We're so thankful that you decided to join us this week. Our goal at Chi Alpha is for you to encounter the love of God while you can grow with your friends closer to Jesus and to each other. Chi Alpha is all about discipleship. Discipleship just means trying to be a little bit more like Jesus. It means being an apprentice of Jesus, trying to follow him well. We want to be as much like Jesus as possible. See, we want to make disciples who make disciples that live a life of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. I'm going to say that again. We want to make disciples who make disciples who live a life of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. In case you forgot what those three terms meant, or if you've never been here and heard them before, that's okay. I'm going to remind you. Real devotion is being fully devoted to Jesus through spending daily time with him in Bible reading, prayer, worship, and constant communion with God. Real community is just creating community with your peers and living life with the people that are in this room. This means being open and honest with each other as we share the junk in our lives. This means balancing grace and truth as we love each other no matter what we've done, no matter what we're doing, no matter what we're going to do, while also not being afraid to challenge each other to be closer to Jesus. Real responsibility is being responsible for the kingdom of God on campus. See, it is on our shoulders to see the 10,000 students at UNI who do not know the name of Jesus come to know him. We have to be outward with our faith. We must share with our friends how their creator loves them more than they could ever imagine. Our prayer is that Chi Alpha is a place that you can feel like you're at home. We want you to come as you are and to know that no matter what you do, we're going to love you. We want it to feel like a family. Amen, right? That's good. Cool, cool. We're in a time where there is so much change. In the past year, our lives have been completely turned upside down. COVID radically changed everything. Political tensions have grown and changed our society. For some of you, this is your first semester at a new university, and you are in a whirlwind of change. Since the last time we had a Chi Alpha service, we have a new president. We're in a new year. The vaccine has been completed and started being administered, and that's just in the past eight weeks. Hear me, change isn't always a bad thing. A lot of times change can be good and healthy, but it is something that we need to be ready for because it's constantly happening. Maybe you're caught up in the whirlwind of constant changing and you're begging for something constant. You want something to permeate and be a rock. You're in a rocking boat in a storm and you need something to stabilize your life. Or maybe you never change. Everything has been the same for you for years. You walk with Jesus has either been non-existent or lacking true life for a long time. Maybe you've been trying the same things over and over again and not seeing great results with your life with Jesus, and you're wanting change. See, change is a funny thing. So to give you a little backstory, first of all, will you raise your hand if you're from the Des Moines area? Can you do that? Okay, that's a decent amount. You'll understand this story a little better. So my wife, Taylor, is from the Des Moines area. And something that I love about Des Moines is there is some good restaurants. Can I get an amen? Oh, it's so good. So when I first went there to meet Taylor and her parents, they kept telling me, we've got to try this place called the Latin King. Yeah, okay, some of you have heard of it. That's good. And I'm like, I'll be honest, I don't really like Latin King. I don't like Latin in general. So I'm like, I don't really want to go there, but they eventually get me to go there. So we get in the car. We drive way too far away from their house. I'm cramped in the back seat. It's not very comfortable, but it's okay. And we're driving, and then in the distance, I see what I think is a cow statue. There's a cow statue in the front yard of the restaurant. I'm like, we're in for something very interesting today. We get inside. We get seated down, it's all dark and dim, like it feels mystical. Get the menu, and I decide I'm gonna get a burger. 
because I like burgers, and let's see if it's good. I know we're at the Latin King. I don't really like Italian food, so I have my burger. It's not that great, and I'm like, this place stinks. Why are you guys so excited about it? But then they get me to come back again. We drive again. One more time. I said, I'll give it one more time, and I'll try real Latin food this time. I'll try Italian food, right? Latin food. That's not real. That's all right. I'll try Italian food. You see the stupid cow again. We sit down, and I order chicken Alfredo. Ooh, that chicken Alfredo changed my life. More than almost anything besides King Jesus. Amen. That chicken, when I took my first bite, I'm like, I get it. He is the Latin king. This is good. It tasted so good, and I was hooked. I'm like, all right, fine. I love it. I'm in. So every time we go to Des Moines, I'm like, when are we going to Latin King? When are we going to Latin King? And it's exciting. I love it. But then this last time, oof, my mother-in-law, her name is Stacy. I love her very much. But it's Stacy's birthday, and Stacy gets this wise idea. We should change it up. We should go somewhere new. And I hate change. I'm like, no, the Latin king, he is the king. We must bow and serve the Latin king. I want to see my friend the cow. But she says we want to try something new, so I'm a good son-in-law. I'm like, okay, I guess for your birthday we can try something different. So we go to this new place. I'm a little skeptical, just like I was with the Latin king, though. See, sometimes change can be good. Sit down, I look at the menu, I order a steak that is way too expensive. I never would have ordered it if I was buying for myself. Probably... Probably shouldn't have said that, but here we are. Comes out, and it's nasty. That steak did not do me anything. Taylor makes better steaks than this place did. And I'm like, stay, I didn't say this, okay? I'm a good son-in-law. So hopefully if she listens listens back, she's going to know I didn't like her birthday dinner, but, and she usually does, so pray for me. Anyways, I'm just sitting there thinking like, Stacy, why would you try to change something that's so good? It's so holy. Dare I say, it's royal. Ah, Latin King. Ah, I missed you guys, okay? We're in for it tonight. <laughs> See, when we, we're in this life of change, and sometimes change can be very good as when I tried the Latin King. And sometimes change can be really bad when I had that stupid steak and didn't get to have the Latin King or Cheesecake Factory, the other restaurant we go to when we're in Des Moines. Anywho, we're kicking off this new year with a new series entitled New Year, New You, Same God. And when I thought of that, I was thinking of like, I don't like a punch, like New Year, New You, Same God. I thought you guys would laugh more at that. I'm sorry. It was ner- I felt bad. As soon as I did the first punch, Theodore, thank you, buddy. He's got my back. The idea behind this series comes from the idea that we're going to look at a few different characteristics of God, and we're going to apply them to our lives. Also, as we head into a new year, a lot of us come in with resolutions, right? We want to change something. It's a new year. 2020 was not that fun for most of us. So we're like, 2021, it's a new year, new me. I'm starting over. But while we try to change ourselves, I want to look at the characteristics of God and see how they can align. A lot of these ideas are going to come from a book written by an old dead guy named A.W. Tozer. Woo, amen. This book is called The Knowledge of the Holy. I recommend you read it. It's really changed my life. It's a good book. Tonight, we're going to be looking at what A.W. Tozer calls the immutability of God. Can you say immutability? It's a really fancy word. I'm sorry. I made you say it. I thought it'd be fun. All that means is that God is never changing. It means God is constant. He remains the same no matter what's going on. There's a character in the Bible, though, that does a lot of changing, and he tests the idea of Jesus never changing. We're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 22, so if you have your Bible, you can open that up, Luke chapter 22. In the passage we're reading tonight, Jesus is on trial. Jesus had ticked off the religious leaders of his time, and they decided it was time to kill him. Before Jesus is arrested, though, he has conversations with his followers or his disciples. He tells his followers that you're all going to fall away from me. 
You're all going to run. In my time of need, you're not going to have my back. And then there's this guy named Peter. Peter was Jesus' top disciple. We talked about him quite a bit. And Peter, he was so confident in himself. He's like, Jesus, come on, man. I'm not going to fall away. I got you. I got your back. He's like, he's literally telling the God of the universe that he's wrong. So take some confidence there. Peter's like, nope, no chance. I would never betray you, Jesus. I will go with you to death. Peter says, I'm too strong to give in. Jesus responds with telling Peter, okay, you're going to deny me three times, and then you're going to hear a rooster crow. And shortly after this exchange, Jesus is arrested, and we're going to pick up at his trial. So again, Luke 22, verses 54 through 61. It'll be on the screen as well. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was falling at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. Again, it's a little girl looking at Peter and saying, you were with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Galileans had a specific accent. It's like if you're from the South, you can't argue it. You're from the South. Amen, y'all. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And this is my favorite part. And the Lord, Jesus himself, he turned and looked right at Peter. Ooh. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I'm gonna pray for us tonight. Jesus, I thank you for showing up in worship. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I pray that you speak to our hearts. I pray that you show us how good of a God you are, God. I pray that you just speak to us. We love you so much, King Jesus. Amen. All right, as you remember from the first semester, I like to give you one main idea, one big thing to take away that you'll remember forever and ever. Amen. We're going to remember it forever and ever. You're going to write it on your forehead. Okay, you don't need to do that. That might be uncomfortable. Anyways, the big main idea for tonight is God never changes, but we can. God never changes, but we can. The first part of our main idea is that God never changes. So A.W. Tozer argues that God is immutable. He says, to say that God is immutable is to say that he never defers from himself. The concept of a growing or developing God is not found in the scriptures. See, he argues earlier in the book that God is perfect, and a perfect thing cannot change because a perfect thing cannot get better or worse because it's perfect. So how can it change? Scripture itself backs up the unchanging character of God. Hebrews 13, 8 says this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This unchanging nature of God is evident through his relationship with Peter. See, Peter was so confident in himself that he could stand strong. And then he denies Jesus. Jesus would have every right to change his opinion of Peter, but he doesn't. We've all had friends like that, right? When it goes and gets tough, they back out. They're not a good friend anymore. Most of the time, they don't become our friends for much longer. But that's not the case with Jesus. Side note, how scary do you think this would be to be Peter? So this guy that you realize is the Messiah, he's Christ, he is your Lord, and he tells you that you're going to deny him, and you act like a big shot. You're like, nah, and then you mess up and do it. I want you to picture this. Think about when you're in high school, and you've got this test coming up, and your parents tell you, you should probably study for this test, and you're like, Mom, Dad, I have no need to study. This is the easiest test in the world. 
If I fail this test, I must be really stupid. You're like, I got this, mom and dad. I do not need to study. I just need to watch TikTok to get me ready for my next career of being a TikTok famous, whatever they are, TikToker. I don't know what they're called. I'm not that hip. Anyways, you're so confident. Your parents look at you, all right. You go and you take the test. And not only do you fail, but you get 0% on it. Then you come home, you're at the dinner table. You know you failed. They don't know yet, though. And then you see your mom sneak out her, her phone. She gets on the little portal thing where they can check your grades. And they see that you got a 0%. And then your mom gives you the biggest angry face, the mean look, they mean mug you. Like, mm, my mom has got an angry face. That's scary. She's like, mmm. She like does some of her lips. It scares the poop out of me. But your mom gives you that look. She just looks at you. And you just know in that moment, I done messed up. That'd be scary. So when this situation happens, your parents are probably going to get angry, but Jesus responds in a different way. He doesn't mean mug Peter. Instead, he just gazes at him. And I don't think this is a look of anger or fury, but I think it is a look of love. See, love doesn't mean that Jesus was looking at Peter and saying, okay, it was good that you did that. Good job. I'm glad you denied me. No, he's not saying that. He's not saying it's all okay, Peter. But he's looking at him and saying, you messed up, Peter. But I love you anyways. He's looking at him and saying, your value is not defined by what you did. He said, I knew you'd mess up. He knew it beforehand, but I still love you. So one book that I read on this passage put it this way, the look of Jesus is thus one of judgment and grace, of condemnation and forgiveness. Jesus had grace and forgiveness in his heart still for Peter, even though what Peter did was clearly wrong. And this is how Jesus looks at us when we make a mistake. Jesus looks at us as his son or his daughter, and he doesn't tell us that what we did was okay. I think we need to learn that sometimes. Sometimes Jesus looks at us and says, you done messed up. But he tells us that he loves us anyways. He tells us, I didn't change my mind about you that even right in the middle of your sin, I still loved you. So even when you were getting ready to scream at your parents during week seven of winter break, Jesus loved you. Even when you're watching something on the internet that you shouldn't, whether that be pornography or your eighth hour of YouTube, both might be equally sinful, Jesus still loves you. Even when you haven't read your Bible in seven years, Jesus still loves you. Not only is God never changing, see, God is also all-knowing. He knows everything that's ever happened, right? We believe that, that God is all-knowing. He knows everything that's ever happened and everything that's going to happen. So if he's all-knowing and he's never changing, that means that he's not going to change his mind about you because, see, he knows everything you've done. He knows everything you're doing right now, and he knows everything you're going to do, and he still loves you. So God's un, or unchanging character, partner with his all-knowing Self shows that God cannot change his mind about you. He loves you no matter what. So we don't have to worry about putting on our best face for God or waiting for a certain amount of time, like I just sinned so I can't talk to God or read my Bible for five days. God knows what you did, but he didn't change his mind about you. So there's no reason to have this waiting period. Just come back to him. He's just like a loving father saying, come home. Because God doesn't change. Tozer puts it this way. In coming to him, as in coming to Jesus, at any time, we need not wonder whether we shall find him in a receptive mood. He does not keep office hours nor set aside periods when he will see no one. Neither does he change his mind about anything. Today, this moment, he feels towards his creatures, toward babies, towards the sick, the fallen, the sinful, exactly as he did when he sent his only begotten son. 
into the world to die for mankind. Think about it like this. I want you to imagine that you go to the Campanile. You look up at the Campanile and you say, you know what? I'm going to move it. I'm going to move the Campanile. So you start a weightlifting program with Nick Hansen, our resident buff small group leader. If you're wondering which one he is, he's the only small group leader that's buff. It's, it's, it's the truth. Sorry. It, it, it's the truth. Amen? Amen. So anyways, if you want, you go with him, you start curling in the gym with him. I watch him lift because we go to the same gym, but he's like, ugh, and I'm like, yeah. It's not the same at all. But anyways, so you go with Nick, and you get ripped. You drink like 30 protein shakes a day, and then you train. You watch 300 YouTube videos of how to properly move a tower. And then you get yourself geared up. You get the right gear. You go up to the Campanile. You're not going to move it. Nothing you do is going to make you able to move the Campanile. Nothing on your own that you do can make you be able to move the Campanile. God is like the Campanile. He's not going anywhere. God is not changing. No matter how far you fall, no matter how much you sin, if you are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So no matter how far you fall, the Campanile is not going anywhere. You cannot move the Campanile, just like Jesus cannot be changed of his opinion of you. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord, this is the relationship that he promises you. I think there are two responses to this concept of God never changing his mind about us. I think the first thought is we just don't believe it, if we're honest. We just don't let it sink in. I think many of us struggle with our internal thoughts. We doubt ourselves. We dwell on our imperfections and our struggles. Maybe you've had a terrible break. Maybe you didn't touch your Bible at all. Maybe you fell back into a lot of sin struggles that you thought you had conquered. You said when you left, I will never do that again. Two weeks in a break, you're doing it every day. But since we know that God hasn't changed his mind about you, you need to have grace for yourself. To start this off, you must run to the throne room of God, right? We can't just say, I'm sinful, this is okay. No, you need to run to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness because you know what you did was wrong. Ask him for grace and he will give it to you, but you have to ask. Confess your sins, your shortcomings to a leader, to a friend, to your small group. And after you've confessed your sins, the unchanging nature of God requires us to not dwell on our past shortcomings. Francis Schaeffer, another old dead guy, says in his book, True Spirituality, that after we've confessed a sin, now it is covered. And it is not honoring to the finished work of Jesus Christ to worry about it as far as my relationship to God is concerned. It is not honoring to the finished work of Jesus Christ for you to dwell on your sins. We must not be harder on ourselves than our God is. We must be released from the burden of constantly overthinking and dwelling on the sins of the past because that is not honoring to the Jesus, to the God of the universe who gave his life and gave his blood on the cross to cover every mistake we've made. We cannot dishonor our Lord's sacrifice. So while some people respond to the unchanging nature of God with doubt and continual self-deprecation, others will respond with, heck, yes, come on, I can do whatever I want now. Hallelujah. Grace, you are so good. And that is also not the correct response. His unchanging love for us is not an excuse to keep giving into sin. Because even though God never changes, we can because even though God never changes, we can't. Let's go back to the story of Peter. So Peter denies that he knows Jesus. 
And then the rooster crows, and shortly after that, Jesus is sentenced to be crucified. Jesus dies on a cross, pays the penalty for our mistakes, for our sins. Three days later, he rises again and conquers death from rising from the grave. Jesus has come back to life. And then in John 21, we are told of a story of one of the times that Jesus appears to the disciples after he's resurrected from the grave. It says this in John 21. When they had finished breakfast, so Jesus had called all the disciples together. He said, let's eat. I'm so glad you're here. They're out fishing. And Jesus says, come back in. We're going to have breakfast. We're going to celebrate. I think some of our small groups have a t-shirt with it on it. So uh, there we go. Amen. We will pray for them. So Jesus appears to his disciples. He's happily eating with them. We must remember that he's happily eating with the disciples that left him, the ones that denied him. He's shown complete grace to them. However, he does want to have a conversation with his top guy, the one he entrusted the most with, but also the one who denied him. So we read about that. Let's continue. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, also known as Peter, Son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk around wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. So Jesus pulls Peter aside and asks him, Peter, do you love me? Peter humbly answers him, yes, Lord. Jesus asks Peter this question three times, and I don't think we can forget the significance of the three times. We must remember that Peter denied Jesus three times. So by Jesus giving Peter three opportunities to say that he loves him, he's offering Peter not partial restoration, but full restoration for his sin. He's saying, Peter, I'm letting you all the way back in. Peter was fully restored from his past sins and his denial. And then Jesus does something beautiful. He does not leave Peter just simply forgiven. He puts him on mission. He says, I forgive you, Peter. I love you, Peter. However, I don't want you to keep doing what you're doing because I have more for you. Feed my sheep. Jesus is looking at each one of us tonight and saying that he forgives us, that he loves us, but he has more for us. Jesus does not want you to continue in your sin, continue living a cowardly life like Peter did, but instead he wants to call us higher. Jesus wants us to change. He wants us to experience redemption. Tozer says this, for human beings, the whole possibility of redemption lies in their ability to change. To move across from one sort of person to another is the essence of repentance. The liar becomes truthful, the thief honest, the lewd pure, and the proud humble. That's amazing. We have an opportunity to grow and change the bad things about our lives. We get second chances. God wants more for this life than dissatisfaction, addiction, impurity, and living for just yourself. He wants you to live for something that is greater than you and bigger than you. This boils down to a simple question. I want you all to ask this question to yourself right now. Do you know that Jesus has your best interest at heart? Do you know that he loves you and that Jesus wants you to live a fulfilling, impactful life? Do you trust him? For example, you may say, I know that spending time with Jesus is worth my time. 
I know that if I read my Bible, I will bear fruit, as John 15 says. If I abide in God, I'm going to feel good. It's going to help me. I cannot do life on my own. I know this. I know I need to spend time with Jesus in order to live a good life. But then if we don't spend time with Jesus, I think what that tells us is that we truly do not know that we need to spend time with Jesus in order to live a a satisfied and a fruit-bearing life. Because if we truly knew that we had to spend time with Jesus, we truly deeply in our bones knew that we would do it. Because we all want what's best for ourselves, right? We don't do things that harm us usually. We don't do things that are to make our lives worse. So if in our deep in our bones we thought, if I spend time with Jesus, my life's going to be better and I'm going to bear more fruit, then we would do it. Or maybe you say that, I know that Jesus has my best interest at heart. I know he wants what's best, but then when we don't do what Jesus tells us to do, what it's saying is that we truly don't think that God knows best. If we truly thought that God knew best, and when God told us not to sin, not to do certain things, that he was right, if we truly believed that deep in our bones, we would do what he said, and we wouldn't do what he says not to do. Because you would believe it's what's best for you. So the question cannot be, how do I try harder? The question is, do I know that God knows best? Peter went from a man who denied Jesus to a little girl to a man who would preach for thousands. He would write part of the New Testament and ultimately die for the cause of Christ. He would be crucified upside down according to church history. So Jesus never changed his mind about Peter, but Peter certainly changed. Jesus never changed his mind about Peter. Jesus loved Peter the same when he first met him to when he was dying on a cross upside down. But Peter had to change to get there. So how do we change like Peter? It isn't about willing ourselves to change. It's not about more effort. If I just am stronger, no, that's not how we avoid sin. Instead, it's all about falling more in love with Jesus. See, Peter didn't truly buy into what Jesus was saying until he knew that Jesus loved him. If you want to change like Peter, you must realize tonight that God loves you and he has your best interest at heart. Come on, we need to be a people who trust that what Jesus says is best. He's calling you higher. He has amazing plans for you. And at the same time, his love for you is like the Campanile. It's not going anywhere. So I've told a few stories on Tuesday nights about my various hairstyles growing up. And most of you already laugh. Most of them are pretty bad, to be honest. And during my freshman year of high school, I think we have the worst one. I decided to grow my hair for a year. I wanted to see how long I could get. And it didn't look great. It was pretty greasy. Very gross to me. However, if you're a man and you've got long hair, power to you. I wish I could be strong like you are. I'm not strong. So we want to show that picture. So that's, that's fun. You can go to the next one. Oh, yeah. I did that. And see, while I was doing this, we can go to the next picture. My older brother Daniel there, he's our pastor at Scent Church. He looks a little younger there. That was the Nick Cage look. I thought I looked so good. I'm like, I'm about to go get the Declaration of Independence up in here. (laughs) Anyways, my older brother Daniel, he told me, Derek, you got to cut that hair. I didn't know he'd be here tonight. This makes it a little more interesting that I'm telling the story. Anyways, he told me, you're going to look back and you're going to regret this. (laughs) Every day before I'd go to school, he'd say, Derek, you're ugly. Cut your hair. I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. That would be mean. That was a little hyperbole. He wasn't that angry. But he was kind of hurtful, to be honest. Looking back, though, 
Daniel had absolutely nothing to gain from me changing my hairstyle. It truly didn't impact his life at all. He was gone. He was in a different state. There he was in a different state. He was in Cedar Falls. I thought he was in Minnesota already. My bad. He was in Cedar Falls. I was an hour away, so I was far away. I remember thinking quite often, Daniel, leave me alone. It's my hair. I can do what I want. Quit telling me to change it. See, the thing I didn't see at the time was just how much my big brother loved me. Aw. He could have communicated better, but that's fine. <laughs> see, Je- or Jesus, Daniel wanted what was best for me. Dang it, I ruined the punchline. <laughs> Daniel did not want all the girls to run away from me when they saw me. And boy, did they. They did. <laughs> oh, ninth grade was fun. I was also a little bit of a late bloomer, so purity is happening. Not purity, puberty. It's been, a, it's been a long day, okay? I had to get us hair. Back to my illustration. Daniel was someone who loved me dearly. He loved me too much to let me keep doing the same things over and over again without telling me that that was not the best route to go. He knew that my hair looked much better shorter and that I would have much better luck getting a freshman girlfriend if I cut my hair because we all know a freshman in high school needs a girlfriend. Never did get one, so I don't know if they're fun or not, but anywho. And this led to Daniel upsetting me at times because he was telling me things I did not want to hear, but he was right. This is just like a relationship with Jesus. See, Daniel's a good brother, and he was going to love me no matter my hairstyle. He wasn't going to change his love for me, I hope. If I cut my hair, if I had longer hair, if it's pink, blue, green, which it was those colors at one point in time, And that's just like Jesus doesn't, he loves us no matter what we do. Daniel also was not directly impacted by my hairstyle, right? Just like Jesus isn't directly impacted by our choices. Jesus is not changed by what we do. He's unchanging. He's God. He does not become more God or more perfect by us doing things. So what we do does not change his life. It doesn't change him because he can't change. However, Jesus does know best. He knows what's best for us. He knows what's going to lead to the most rewarding life. Plus, he wants what's best for us. He wants us to to have a fulfilling life. And he does not benefit from us living a better life, but we do. And God loves us enough to tell us when we're doing things wrong. This is why Jesus tells us what to do and what not to do. He tells us how we need to change. He tells us that we must abide in him or we must spend time with him. We do not spend time with Jesus. Hear me. We do not read our Bibles and pray and spend time with the Lord to earn divine brownie points. We do not spend time with Jesus to earn divine brownie points. Because guess what? It doesn't impact God at all. But we do it because that's how we live. That's how we bear fruit. That's how we don't die in our walk with Jesus. It's not a checklist. It's not divine brownie points. But if we want any chance of successfully bearing fruit or following him, we must spend time with him because God knows the keys to our success. The same goes with sin. When Jesus tells us to humble, he tells us this because it's best for us. He's not self-conscious, worried that our pride's gonna step on his toes as the God of the universe. No, he knows that if we're humble, we'll have a better heart. People are gonna like us better and we will be more satisfied in humility. When Jesus tells us to avoid all sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage, he knows the damage that sexual activity can have in the wrong environment. He knows how crushing an addiction to pornography is. He knows what sex can do in a relationship that is not bound together in marriage. Jesus knows best. Jesus is not impacted by our choices, but he loves us enough to step on our toes anyways. We have to understand this if we want to change for the better. If you're looking at this new year and you want a new you, 
God has some good tips for us. The band, if you want to come up. These tips are simple things. We've talked about them all year long. But they will help us get closer to the Lord. First of all, we must get our minds around this idea that God knows best. When you're making a decision that might not be what God thinks is best, I want you to ask yourself, do I trust God? So when you're getting ready to do something stupid, ask yourself, do I trust that God knows best? Because if the answer is yes, you're not going to do what he tells us not to do. I think that's the key to overcoming sin is understanding how much God loves us. We have to get that deep in our bones. Verbally tell yourself that Jesus knows best. Jesus knows best. So I'll be honest. Today, when I was snow blowing and I fell, and I don't swear. I've actually never swore. I don't say that to get self-righteousness. Do a lot of other stupid stuff. But I was real close to dropping an F-bomb. But I'm like, no, Jesus knows best. I'm about to preach that tonight. Love, joy, peace, patience. Come on, somebody. The fruit of the Spirit are going to flow. Because I need to be reminded. Develop real devotion through spending extravagant time with Jesus. If you want to change and get closer to the Lord, it cannot happen without spending time with Jesus. You will not get to the place you want to be. You will not be the new you in the kingdom of God without spending time with him. I promise you. Please try doing it without him. Try it. It will not work. Jesus tells us as such in John 15. Pray like crazy. Read your Bibles. Sit in silence before the Lord. Worship Jesus on your own. Do the things you need to do to connect to God. Get in community. Develop real community by diving into small group and letting them into every inch of your life. If you're going to go to small group and if you're going to be in community, why not just let them all have it? Why not tell them everything you've got, all your junk? Because guess what? God already knows all your junk and his mind's not changing about you. So who cares what the people in your small group think? If the God of the universe is okay with it, you can probably tell the people that are your peers. Be real with your small group. Hold nothing back and know that no matter what they think, and I promise you these small groups are gonna love you and nothing you say will ever make them mad at you because our small group leaders are awesome. But even if they were mad at you and even if they did judge you, Jesus isn't. As you read your Bible and spend time in community, listen to what Jesus and other Jesus followers think is best for your life. We must remember that the reason we obey Jesus is not to earn divine brownie points, but it's because we truly trust him and we think that God knows best. Jesus is better at running your life than you are. Jesus is better at running our lives than we will ever be. Let that sink in. Jesus doesn't just tell you to not do certain things because he wants to take your fun. I think so many times we think that, oh, just so much fun. So for example, lately, Jesus has been convicting Taylor and I of some of the TV shows and the movies we watch. And at first I'm like, this stinks. I want to keep doing what I want. I want to play video games where I can kill people with a sword. It's fun. But do I trust that Jesus knows best and that he is more satisfying? He's not trying to take my fun, but God knows what's best for us. And God's pleasure is better than our own pleasure. So anything you're holding back from God and he's asking you to give it up, it's not because he just wants to steal your toys and go home. It's because the God of the universe loves you enough to tell you what's best. If you truly jump into what Jesus has for you, I promise things are gonna go okay. I challenge everyone. We're at the beginning of a semester, right? New year, new you. I challenge you, take one semester, dive in. Do the things that God tells you to do and don't do the things he tells you not to do. 
one semester, that's all I'm asking. And do this with a good heart. Because we do this with a heart where I'm mad the whole time and ticked off. I'm like, I don't want to do this. This stinks. God's mean. Then you won't, this isn't going to work. But if you come with a good heart and say, I'm going to try trusting that God knows best. I will not be perfect. I'm going to doubt it sometimes, but I'm going to try. And then we do the things the Bible tells us to do. If you do that for a semester, I promise you'll never go back. Because God knows best. must remember that God never changes but we can God never changes but we sure can maybe you're here this evening and if you're honest with yourself you don't follow Jesus at all you've never taken that first step of trusting him or maybe you have far long ago but you haven't in a long time and you're wondering yourself why should I change for God why should I trust this Jesus as we talked about earlier after Peter denied Jesus, Jesus went and died on a cross. So right after Peter had wronged Jesus, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, I'm going to go pay the penalty for your mistake. We believe in justice, right? If someone does something wrong, they should get punished for it. We believe in justice, right? We believe in the justice system. We think laws are good. someone murders someone, they should probably be punished for it. We think that. We don't want them to just get off scot-free. Here's the beauty of it. We do get off scot-free. We all deserve a penalty. We all deserve death. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. At least I know I have. And Jesus took the justice that we deserve simply because he loves us so much. Jesus got on a cross. He took our penalty. He took Peter's penalty right after Peter did that to him. The penalty of death, and he took it and paid it, but that's not all. He not only took our penalty, but he conquered our penalty. He conquered death by rising again from the grave, by saying, death will not win, because we don't just serve a sacrificial dying God, we serve a victorious kingly God who conquered the pain of our mistakes. We have a king who loves us and he wants a relationship with us. And because of him doing this for us, because of Jesus paying the penalty for us, we have an opportunity to change. Without this act, without God coming himself and dying on the cross, we have no hope of redemption. We have no hope of changing for the better. See, we did not earn a second chance, but Jesus paved the way. Jesus made it so we can have a second chance. It's the best news you're gonna hear all day. There's others of you in here and you follow the Lord. Maybe you came to Chi Alpha all last semester. But if you're honest with yourself, you've been running from him. Maybe your break was really rough. Maybe it was really, really, really rough. You have an opportunity tonight. You can keep trying to run your life. You can keep trying. Or you can decide, this is a new year. So how about it becomes a new me? Let's give Jesus the keys. Let's see what happens. Because you can change. There is hope for every one of us. Or maybe you've been trying to change. Then every time you mess up, you just dwell on it. You beat yourself up. And you think, God has changed his mind about me. How could God love me, a porn addict? How could God love me, an alcoholic? How could God love me, a prideful butt? But he does. Jesus never changes his mind about you. He's forgiven you of your sin. Now you need to forgive yourself. He knows every mistake you'll ever make. And he feels the same way 
about you as he did in your best moment. So when you're on your knees worshiping the Lord and when you're in the middle of your sin, God feels the exact same way about you. So we should probably trust in the grace of our King. We're starting a new semester, a new year. We can either rise to the call and let this be a year that we change for the better, that we trust in the unchanging love of God, or we can keep trying the same things over and over again and expecting different results. That is the definition of insanity. Because Jesus isn't changing. Jesus has had the same invitation to us our entire lives. He's looking at us just like he looked at Peter. Just right when Peter denied him, Jesus is looking at you right now and saying, I've got more for you. He's saying, I love you in your sin, but let's change. This must be the year that we take up the invitation to become a more devoted follower of God and we try letting him run our lives. I promise you he's better at it. You all stand with me. So here at Chi Alpha, we want to give, we give two opportunities to end our service every week. The first of which is for those of you who, if you're honest with yourself, you've never followed King Jesus. Or maybe you did a long time ago, but that stopped. And you want to see that change. And you decided tonight's the night that the unchanging God is going to meet his changing son or daughter. If that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus and you want to give everything you have to him, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you guys to raise your hand on the count of three. So if everyone will close their eyes, bow their heads. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you and you want to dive all in with God. One, two, three. Thank you. love you so much. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness, God. Jesus, I just pray that this is the best year yet, God. I thank you for the new sons and daughters in your kingdom, my new brothers and sisters, Jesus. And I pray that this is not just a momentary change, but a lifetime of change, God. That tonight is the night that we look back on as the new course of our eternity, God. We love you so much, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can all open your eyes now. So what we're going to do now is we're going to enter into a time of worship. We've got a little bit of extra time tonight. We've got this space, right? you've got a little bit more room than in laying. Let's pursue God. Some of you, if you're honest with yourself, haven't had an encounter with God in eight weeks. So as we sing this whole song, as we go through the whole song of available, I want us to just pray and say, God, I'm available. Whatever you want from me, God, I'm all in. Can we do that together as a family, Chi Alpha? We're back, family. Let's get ready for the new year. Jesus, 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 we're so good.